Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. 200 years ago, Napoleon Bonaparte, the Emperor Napoleon, died in captivity in St. Helena, in Longwood House, St. Helena. Last year, as some of you will remember, I was lucky enough to go to St. Helena. I made the journey out to one of the most remote inhabited places on planet Earth. It's over a thousand miles from Africa, thousands of miles from South America. Ascension Island is the nearest speck of land, and that's 800 miles away. This was the safest place that the British government could think to store the most dangerous man in the world, Napoleon Bonaparte, who threatened the entire social and political order in Europe. Did not want that guy escaping again. No way. So I went there. I explored the island. It's an incredible place. And I went up to Longwood House. It's been lovingly restored by Michel Danquan Martineau, who's the honorary French consul out there. You're going to hear from him in this podcast. He showed me around Longwood House, explained how he's restored it and what it was like when Napoleon was there in exile. While I was in St. Helena, I made a film there for History Hit TV. That's available free on History Hit TV now. No subscription required, no nothing. Just go and watch it. You can see me destroy myself as I try to climb up Jacob's Ladder. It's exhausting. Go and see what I mean. And you can see the massive fortifications that were built on St. Helena from the 17th to the 20th century as that vital island that sat astride the shipping lanes to Asia and South Africa that needed to be protected from Britain's enemies. It's a surprising and remarkable place. Please go and check out that documentary on History Hit TV. It's totally free. And you can also see articles that I've written on the History Hit website. In the meantime, enjoy this trip around Longwood House. Michelle, how are you? Okay. It's an honour to be here. To Thank you very much. I can't wait to have a look round. Yes, and so this is the house here, as it yeah. was. So this is uh, Napoleon's apartments here, and then his entourage, his generals on the back. You've meticulously reconstructed what it was like when Napoleon was here. Yes, so we have uh, redesigned it. Uh, we use all the plans and all the descriptions and all the archaeological uh, research for reshaping to as it was in uh, 1821. The day he died? The day he died, because the garden has moved up to the end. The really last months, they were still adding on a small Chinese pavilion, so just it was always a few little items uh, add on. 
Some of these trees look quite old. Would they have been here when Napoleon Bonaparte was here? Yes, uh, so they were here. Um, those two umbrella cypress were here because you can still see them on the pictures of the time and also the green oak on the back. So the three trees, which are uh, the living plants uh, of the time. I've read, you know, the French accounts, Napoleon's accounts, they made his captivity seem harsh. The British were barbaric. It was part of him trying to gain sympathy within Europe. But this feels quite nice. Yeah, but you can also read the other way around. Uh, the worst and the best has been said on both sides, exaggeration, depend on which side you were. But most of the dark presentation of Longwood are because of uh, the writing of Lascaz who were only here for the first years of Napoleon's exile. He was one of Napoleon's assistants, aide de camp. Yes, he was yeah. his PA, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And then he went back to Europe, and his definite mission was to darken the condition of exile for the sovereign of Europe to oblige UK to change their mind for not exiling Napoleon on Saturday but to consider him as a prisoner of state because the problem of Napoleon on Saturday he was a prisoner of war. But Napoleon claimed his title, he had been legitimately emperor of the French, so then he wanted that to be recognized, hence his uh, title for prisoner of state. But the British and the Tsar of Russia, the Emperor of Austria, the King of France and so on, they all denied that right. And then this way Napoleon starts the garden. But at the beginning, he had to darken the picture because he wanted the sovereign to change their mind. So can we go and have a look inside yes, the house? Please. Let's do it. He anchored on the 15th, landed on the... 15th of October, 1815, and then he came ashore on the 17th evening. Okay. And those two days were needed for sorting out paperwork. And he spent one night in Jamestown. When you think of the importance of the paperwork, two days is not bad. I know, know, that's true, that's true. To do all the transfer of authority on a country. Wonderful. What a wonderful job you've done. So this is this is a big room. He played billiards, did he? No, he never played. He didn't play. No, he didn't play. He used a billiard table for his maps because, of course, as I said to you, it's a long his exile. He used it for his own benefits to write his memoirs, and of course, his memoirs include a lot of military campaign. So it's very useful to have this table for laying the maps and using the cues to keep them flat. And is it true that he used to look out here with his telescope and spy so on the British? Mostly on the holes. Uh, okay. He closed all the shutters, and you could see he made some holes ah. on the shutters, and so like that he can have his telescope and watching outside without being seen. So through that door, that's very much through the windows. You can see him on the, the holes. And so did he surround himself with this artwork of him in his prime as... Emperor of the French. Uh, so uh, no, in this museum here, in this house, in this very room, that is where I said he dictated about his own life story. And of course, uh, most of the visitors passing by St. Helena do not know who was Napoleon. So of course, I had to educate them. Okay. Uh, so what I do is I put on the walls pictures of events of his life, which he dictated in this room. So it's like flashbacks, okay. uh, but the pictures were not there then. Okay. Right, so lead me through. Let's just keep going. 
So he's doing his maps on here. Yeah. So, for example, then what is for me a resume of the exile is those two pieces. When Napoleon arrived on the island, nothing was ready. So Sir Coburn went to every house on the island and took some pieces <laughs> of furniture. So he found that piece of furniture. So he placed it there, and then because this room has been added on, and it's asymmetrical, it's not the same length here than here, so he made locally a copy of what was made in the UK, and that was made locally at the same time. Oh, I see. Yes. So you can see it's much rougher done. It doesn't have a nice veneer. Yeah, yeah, and so on. But that is how you adapt to the local need. Speaking of adapting... Did Napoleon live a kind of rustic life, or did he keep the etiquette of the imperial court going? So definitely Napoleon was always fighting his case of being a prisoner of state and not a prisoner of war, which was denied to him. So, of course, look in, within his household, he put the protocol in a higher level than he ever been. He never been as gastronome as when he was on Santa Elena. Normally when he was emperor, food for him was something that goes very quick and is not very protocol. But here, oh la la, the food had to be the best. So he never cared more for food and etiquette than when he was on the island because he had a point to prove. I mean, what's the next room? Was this his, uh, his bedroom? Yeah, you kept on your head. Oh, yeah, thank you. Was this so, his bedroom? Yes, so it was not his bedroom at all. It was the place where he has been placed when he started to be very, very agonizing. So the few weeks before he died, because his bedrooms, you will see later on, are very close and there is no air movement in it. So if you open the entrance door and that door, you have a draft. So it's much easier to keep the temperature down. And so they placed his bed between the two windows, removing a sideboard which was here, because here that was a salon where he spent most of his nights reading and dictating or playing music. And so that was a social room. So that's what we call the salon. So he died in this salon. So he died in this really same space. This bed is actually the copy of the one which is at the Musée de l'Armée in Paris. So we have reconstructed the room exactly as it stood. So we have so many details about this room. So here we are. Now, there are so many stories surrounding Napoleon's death and conspiracy theories. Why do you think he died? He died of a combination of symptoms. So the autopsy has been done by the British doctors and the French one. So it's quite an agreement. So they find that his stomach was perforated, his intestine was in bad state, his liver was dangerously damaged. So the most surprise was actually he lasted that long because, from what I understood, the liver actually were holding the hole of the stomach. So it, it was not a nice sight when they opened his body. But at least the autopsy was made. It's very, very difficult for anyone to counterbalance the fact that there was British and French observant on the same pathologies. So it is a man whose time has come. Dining room? Dining room. So the bed where he died, and that sideboard on the back was between the two windows, so they shifted there. 
as I said, we are replacing the layout of the room as it used to be on the 5th of May. So the furniture are in situ. So this room is the most significant of the exile. It's dark. It's always damp. And Napoleon always had fire, even on a warm day like today. Really? He always had fire burning. So it was a very, very unpleasant atmosphere here. And men were wearing their uniforms. The ladies were wearing all the things. So it's not very comfortable. So is this where he was laid out in state? Yeah, so this room was how it used to be on the 6th of May, the following day of his death, after the autopsy had been done in the billiard room. So after the autopsy, they put his uniform. The body was laid out on that couch, uh, the head towards the dining room. So exactly like the death mask and plaster here orientation. The furniture was one of the sideboards with the white marble, which was also used as the altar on the Sunday service the silverware for the church service, and the furniture, like the chair from the Chinese. And uh, so this room was a display room for his body between the 6th of May, 1821, to the 8th of May, where the body was displayed, and then, of course, on the 9th of May, the funeral. Hi, everyone. Listen to Dan Snow's History Hit. I'm on St. Helena, talking about Napoleon who died in Longwood House 200 years ago. More after this. Okay, Tristan, you've got 50 seconds. Go. Right, so Dan's given me a few seconds to sell the Ancients podcast. What is the Ancients, I hear you say? Well, it's like Dan's show, except just ancient history. We've got the groundbreaking new archaeological discoveries. This seems to be the oldest known dated depiction of the animal world, as far as we can tell, anywhere in the world. We've got the big names. It's one of these sort of great things, Pompeii. It's kind of forever rising from the dead and from destruction. We've got the big topics. The man destroys seven legions in a day. No one in history has done that. Subscribe to the Ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, and Russell Crowe, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the Ancients. Spread the word, people. Spread the word. 
And if you're giving an aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage, add unlimited photos and videos and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. And is this a bedroom through here? So, Napoleon had two bedrooms. Now, one was changed the day after his death as a chapel, but both were originally draped on the same white muslin fabric and uh, with a very basic furniture for his daily life. The only thing which is missing, because we could not have it for the people to walk through, there was a screen here leading to the bathroom to prevent the draft. So the black drapes in there were just for the funeral. Usually it was this white yeah. colour. So the two rooms were on the white fabric. That is very important. The reason there was a white fabric on the wall, it's not because of the decoration desire of his valet. It's because the house, after three years, became in very bad condition. So you had the roof, which were leaking all the time. So you have water falling down through the walls. Under the floor, there was a gap where the water settled with rats crawling all under. Okay. So you could hear the rats. Yes, and the smell and the stagnant water. So, of course, the wall were with wallpapers, and the wallpaper every morning kept falling. Oh. So that's why they decided to do some drapery. So like that, of course, it took no more than three months to rot the cotton, so that every three months oh, they could change it. So that's why it's very important for you to understand the context of that. This house was not supposed to be permanent. It was just on hold until the house, which the Prince Regent ordered to be built for Napoleon, a much more decent building, Longwood new house. Unfortunately, it was only complete a few weeks before Napoleon died, so he never used it. But this house was just a temporary place uh, to place Napoleon, but it became his last. Let's check through here. Uh-huh. The famous, yeah, so the famous here, bathtub. The, here you have the bathtub. So that is where he spent a few hours a day. So they used to top the water with hot water warmed on the kitchen, which was just in the back. So he spent a few hours a day in the bath? Yes, it, Napoleon so spent a few hours a day on his bath because he had a lot of rush on his skin and it was very soothing. And Napoleon always liked baths anyway. But it was very comfortable. It looks a deep tub, but it was comfortable because it was a wooden chair with a drapery and so on. So it was a comfortable sit. Nice place for an office. Yeah, you can actually have your office in your bath. <laughs> So here it's a lovely new house. 
So in this room, it was the room of his uh, first valet called Marchand. He used that same cabinet here. This cabinet, for me, it represents is the most significant of his exile because it's his servant almost on a weekly basis whenever Napoleon was a bit nostalgic or sad or gloomy he asked his servant to show his boxes it's tiny little snuff boxes uh, and they were all hand painted with events of his life including his sons, different battles, uh, the treaties that he signed, his even Egypt campaign and so on. So you imagine the servant taking out trays of little boxes and bringing it to his master and the master getting back into his souvenirs, looking at the little boxes with those little images as a reminiscence of his greatness days. Like we look back through our Instagram photos. Yeah, <laughs> but, but here it's even the objects on their own, they are beautiful. Sure. So then if you look at the photos, they're getting old, and the photos of your old life getting older as well as a material. But those hand-painting little boxes on save and so on remain beautiful. So themselves, by the craft, they are beautiful, they are aging, they are as amazing. And that brings his fall even further down. And for me, that is the most evocative souvenir of the daily life of Napoleon's exile. And how many people a year do you get proper pilgrims who love the memory of Napoleon? No, that ticket doesn't say that would be very subjective. Yeah. But the thing is, for me, it's uh, I, I give as much importance to the one I want to educate. Of course. The one who already knows the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why I try to do a compromise. So it's a balance which is not easy to find, but uh, at least we're getting there. I think Thank we're you. definitely getting there, yeah. And what was this room during Napoleon's time? So this room was the center of what they call the factory of writings because uh, it was a real industry of book production. Uh, long good, at least for the first three years, the amount of books that Napoleon dictated, uh, it's enormous. And of course, he did need a lot of documentation and maps and so on. So in the middle of that room, there was an octagonal table which you could fill with maps and so on. And there were two cabinets like that. And those two bookcases are the original one, which are just back on the island. They came from Switzerland and they were on loan and they were taken by the governor when Napoleon died. But you rescued them. So not rescue them, track them and a bit of convincing power for them to get back here. Thank you for showing me the house. It's extraordinary given that actually after Napoleon's time, it was almost derelict, wasn't it? So you and your predecessors have brought it back. So this house has no purpose for staying up as a house because it's badly exposed. So it cannot stand. So the only reason it's still up is because of what happens there as a historical fact, which is the death of Napoleon and his last years of exile. So of course that is where we're fighting for. And that is actually the subject that we always bring up to the attention of the public at the end of the visit, 
because of the importance of the British to the fact that this house still stand up, because it's actually after the royal visit in 1947. King George VI and his daughters, his daughters the and, and the current queen and Princess Margaret, and they actually were repelled of the condition of their house. And so then Queen Mother called the ambassador in the office and complained officially. And of course, then it helps for the budget to be allocated to restore the house by the French parliament because it's still a French property. And so this today is French territory. It's a French territory. Theoretically, it's nothing more than less than just any embassy in the world. Uh, so it's French property overseas, which has some diplomatic advantages. So the British imprisoned Napoleon here, but they've also been instrumental in helping to protect the house. Yes, yeah, but the problem is that don't forget that the island, when Napoleon died, reverted to the East India Company. So then they were allowed to do what they wanted to do with the house, and then they converted the house into a farm. So that it's only through Napoleon III that the French were allowed to purchase the house through a tricky exercise. The governor of the island had to buy it privately, then he was allowed to sell it to the Queen Victoria privately, and the Queen Victoria was allowed to sell it to Napoleon III officially. <laughs> so it's I make it, yeah. But it was the only way to turn down the British laws uh, rule, which they never sell property to a foreign nation. So that was a twist. So Napoleon had access to books, to maps, he wasn't restricted by his British jailers. So officially, yes, he had to be censored of whatever he received. And then it's uh, very important that on those days, opposition of the Lord Liverpool uh, the Prime, Minister. Uh, Prime Minister of the time was Lord Holland. So he was on the Whig Party and he was officially against the idea of sending Napoleon on St. Helena. Because he's more, he, he, you'd say now, liberal or progressive. Yes, yeah. progressive. And he was also totally following the idea of Napoleon being a prisoner of state. So then, of course, his wife, Lady Holland, kept sending Napoleon's books. And of course, you would not deny that right to the opposition leader. So then Napoleon received a lot of books, but from the British people, uh, but through the opposition. And then he put everything into perspective that the jailer were British, but the best supporter were British. It's impossible to generalize. You can't say the British was a bad one, the French was a bad one, or vice versa. It's impossible because it wasn't that clear. He is the best supporter of Napoleon, and that is what this room is very important. So Napoleon is writing here, he's studying. Is there any restrictions on his library, his books, his maps? So, yes, there is a restriction. He could not receive what he wanted and so on. But on the British side, there was uh, an amazing lady, the wife of the leader of the opposition back then, the Whig, Lady Holland. So she keeps sending on a regular basis, every six months, boxes of books, <laughs> novelties and so on, including uh, newspapers, because Napoleon were kept in the dark with what happened in the world. 
So then she keeps sending books and so on. And of course, being the wife of the leader of the opposition and with the support of her husband, Lord Bathurst and uh, Lord Liverpool, Bear could not be seen as opening the boxes of books that his opposition was sending to Napoleon. So, of course, Napoleon had that. So he had almost 5,000 volumes at the end. So it was all in two bookcases and so on here. This was his working material. So Napoleon had sympathisers within the British ruling elite. Uh, not only sympathising, he was capitalising on it. He never been more the son of the revolution, the French Revolution, than when he actually came on the island, because of what he brought to Europe as a more liberal approach and to cut down the monarchy by the divine right. So for him, uh, sovereign had to get this. Uh, legitimity by the people, not by God. So he emphasised that bit. So that the Brits were jailers, but also... Yes, uh, so that is what makes the whole exile of Napoleon impossible. You can be as critical as you want, you can be so praiseful as you want, you can, you're always right, because you only pick a piece of it. Because both sides, the best supporter of Napoleon were British, and the worst enemy of Napoleon were British. So you can decide which side you want to be, and uh, you will be right. Well... It's good to hear, Michelle. The more you study history, of course, the more nuanced things appear. So thank you very much for taking me around the house. I've always wanted to come here. It's an honour to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank nice you. To have you. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished. Hi, everyone. Thanks for reaching the end of this podcast. Most of you are probably asleep, so I'm talking to your snoring forms. But anyone who's awake, it would be great if you could do me a quick favour. Head over to wherever you get your podcasts and rate it five stars and then leave a nice glowing review. It makes a huge difference for some reason to how these podcasts do. Madness, I know, but them's the rules. Then we go further up the charts, more people listen to us, and everything will be awesome. So thank you so much. Now sleep well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.